Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Let's face it, if God really acted fully and completely in His righteousness and His judgment of, again, destroying every wicked thing, I look around the room and none of us are going to be there. None of us. It's because of His grace and His mercy and His long-suffering that any of us are not consumed even at this point. And even in the midst of the declaration of the coming judgment, the Lord tells him that there's time right now to repent and to return to him. And that's the message for us even today. There's still time to repent, to turn to him. In today's message, Pastor David will share with you that if God were to act fully in his righteousness, destroying all sin, not one would be left. Now, you may be wondering, why doesn't God do this? Because of his unending grace and long-suffering mercy, he decides to forgive you of all sin. There's always time to repent and return to the arms of the Father. Like the story of the prodigal son, the Father will always accept you with arms stretched wide. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Malachi chapter 1 as he continues his message, Having the Last Word. Moving on real quick, in verses 13 and 14, Malachi states that the people wonder why the Lord, why why isn't the Lord receiving our offering? They give that fourth question, gee, what what have we done that was so bad? And yet the Lord's answer to them is his response to the people uh, in this case and how they've treated their wives, the wife of their youth. And so again, still speaking about marriage, look at verse 13. This is the second thing you do. The first thing, the priests were marrying unbelieving women, pagan women. The second thing you do, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, why? What have we done? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. And yet she is your companion and your wife, by covenant. You know, here in Arizona, they have what are called covenant wedding ceremonies. And the fact is, is for a believer, you have a marriage ceremony, it is a covenant. You have vowed before God and these witnesses that I will take this woman, I will take this man as my lawfully wedded husband or or wife. It is a covenant relationship that we make before God that says, literally, till death do us part, in sickness and in health, through riches and and poor, uh, all this whole idea that whatever it takes, I'm going to devote myself. Now, I know as I look out on, on the congregation that some of you have gone through the torment 
of, of, of divorce, the, the brokenness, the tearing that that brings. You know yourself the heartbreak that that brings. That was not God's desire. God's desire is one man, one woman for life. And you know what? It ain't easy. It ain't easy. You can ask my wife. It's not easy. I tell people that we've been married 43 wonderful years and four years of hell that I put her through. And I mean that very literally. Because I just walked away from the Lord for about three and a half years. And yet, she remained faithful. She remained obedient. Again, seeking the Lord. Oh, she has her own story of the own, her own struggles during that time. But I guarantee you, it was because of the commitment that we both made, not only to each other, but to God, that has kept us together through all of this time. And again, God has been gracious in the midst of it. God takes this thing of covenant relationships seriously. That's the kind of relationship he gives to us, a covenant relationship that is not broken. And if you remember back in Genesis, the relationship or the covenant that he made with Abraham where, God, where he told Abraham to split all these animals right in half and lay them down on the ground. And Abraham had to stay up at night, keep the, uh, all the wild animals away from it. And the Lord came literally with a, with a burning fire and went between those animals. The whole significance of that is in the Middle East at that point in time, you would lay those animals out. And as you and I make a covenant agreement together, whatever that agreement is, then you and I would walk between those animals. And we would say, may the Lord do to us, to either of us, in the same way as these animals, if we break this covenant. It was a life and death, serious relationship. Maybe that's how I ought to start doing wedding vows. Just put a lot of dead animals down the aisle. May the Lord do to us if we break this covenant. I probably wouldn't do very many more weddings, but uh, that, that's the seriousness of it. That's the reality of it. Chapter two ends with this Fifth of uh, their their eight questions, Uh, verse 17. You've wearied the Lord with your words, and yet you say, "Ah, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? In other words, they're, they're looking around and says, look, all these guys that are evil, they're prospering. You know, his, he, he got a raise in his job, man. They, uh, everybody's fine at their house, whereas at my house, you know, man, we, everybody is sick and there's all this stuff that's going on. No, the Lord, you know, that, that one that's doing evil, it's okay in God's eyes. How come God of justice hasn't gone in and, and taken care of business at this point in time? Again, failing to understand that God's work and God's timing is not, you know, our way, and it's not in our timing. At the beginning of chapter 3, God answers their question with a message of both the, the reality of this coming judgment, but also in the midst of the judgment, there's this great hope. Uh, it's that pr- prophetic declaration of, of what we know to be the, the coming of John the Baptist. Look what he says there in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This correlates right with what Isaiah declares in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 5. Isaiah says, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will be made smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It is the reality that there is coming that time. Even as he said in Malachi, projecting again the prophetic reality that Jesus was going to be coming, but even beyond that, that farther prophetic message that Jesus will be coming again, and in that point in time, that's when all the judgment and all the balances will be made complete, and all the accounts will be brought into payment at that point in time. If you remember, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we read about a man by the name of Zechariah, one of the priests. He's the He's the father of John the Baptist, and and he's he's the one that, again, had to declare that his son's name was going to be John. Remember, because he didn't believe the angelic message, the angel made him mute for a time until he wrote on the paper, his name shall be John. And then he got uh, his voice. And then when he got his voice, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied about his son. Listen to the words that he prophesied about his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah, filled by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understood that his son John was that very one that Isaiah declared, that very one that Malachi is declaring. Jesus even referred to that same passage when he spoke about John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, Jesus says, this is the one, speaking about John, this is the one about whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Mark begins his gospel account with the words about John the Baptist. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. And so we look at this and we see they're saying, how come there's no judgment? How come the evil are getting along well? Where is the God of justice? And the Lord says, oh, he's coming. I'm going to send my messenger before him to say, prepare the way of the Lord. And again, speaking 400 years later, when John the Baptist would come. Again, not only would he come to bring salvation, uh, but he's also coming to bring that time of judgment. Back in Malachi, still in that third chapter, we read in verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like launderer's soap. How many of you ever heard uh, the, the fullness of Handel's Messiah? 
uh, man, you know, when, when they start singing this, uh, man, it is so powerful. I, I love when, when, how, they, how the Lord, I believe, gifted uh, Handel to be able to put this together. Oh, he's like a refiner's fire, uh, uh, launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. You know, when you purge gold and silver, it's not an easy process for the gold and silver. The gold and silver don't appreciate it very much at all because they are put under such intense heat because it's only through that intensity of the heat that the dross is drawn out of them. He's going to purify them like gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Remember, he just said, you priests, you're offering up these offerings and man, you're, you're, you're not there. You're, you're not telling the truth to the people. You're misleading the people. You're offering up these lambs with all kinds of blemishes. There's nothing righteous there at all. But he says here, when the Lord comes, he's going to purify the sons of Levi to bring that offering in righteousness. Verse four, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old as in the former days. Now let me stop right here. Did that happen when Jesus came? Did that happen as Jesus came into the temple, started ministering? No, it has not happened yet. This is a a, a prophecy of what yet is still going to happen. Because remember, when Jesus was on the earth, the, the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they were all, again, still uh, wicked. They were vile. They, they were still corrupt. The temple was corrupt. They were, you know, beating people out of money. They were, Jesus had to drive the money changers out of the temple because they were cheating the people. It was not happening then. The Lord tells them that judgment is going to come and it's going to be swift when it comes. There won't be time for, for repentance at that point. He says in verse five, I will come near you for judgment and I will be a swift witness. I'll be a swift witness, he says down there, uh, against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, let's back up. What is he saying there? Right there, he's saying that when I come, this judgment's going to happen. But right now, you're not being consumed. So it's his patience, it's his long-suffering that he's working with them then. And that's the reason, even now, because of his patience, because of his long-suffering. Let's face it, if God really acted fully and completely in his righteousness and his judgment of, again, destroying every wicked thing, I look around the room and none of us are going to be there. None of us. It's because of his grace and his mercy and his long suffering that any of us are not consumed even at this point. And even in the midst of the declaration of the coming judgment, the Lord tells him that there's time right now to repent and to return to him. And that's the message for us even today. There's still time to repent, to turn to him. But even in that, the response was, 
they didn't even know that they were gone. He's saying, come back to me. And they, they didn't even know that they were gone. That's how blind sin had made them. Look what he says in verse seven. He's calling them, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? The, the English doesn't really bring it out correctly there. In essence, they're saying, well, how can I return? I haven't left you, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm still here. But God says, no, you, you may be there physically. You may be going through the motions, but your heart is far from me. And God is saying, if you'll return to me, I will return to you. Think of the story of the, 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 the uh, prodigal son. How that prodigal son went out and wasted all that he had, wasted literally his life. And we don't know how long he was gone. But when he, again, realized how much better he had it back at his father's. And he turned and came back. As soon as the father saw that he was coming back, the word says that the father ran out to meet him. Beloved, that's the word of our God for us. And that's why I encourage you continually. Man, if you fall, fall forward because you'll fall into his arms. You'll fall into his arms because he desires that we return to him. God responds back to them. Will a man rob God? And yet you've robbed me. And yet you say, well, how how have we robbed you? How could we rob God? God's response was pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. And yet even then, God still offers this channel of forgiveness, this opportunity of restoration. Look what he says there in the end of verse eight. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation. He brings that word, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Try me if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out to you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. It's interesting, there's there's several places throughout Malachi that the Lord speaks to them about the inappropriateness of their offering. And here he brings it right down to the line. He says, you you literally robbed me in your tithes and in your offering. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I've tried to counsel people through the years. There There are a multitude of places that our money can go to in, in donating. There's, there's, there's no end to that of the opportunities that we have to support a multitude of ministries, whether that be radio or television ministries, whether that be a, a ministry on the other side of the world, a missions organization. There is no end to the number of ministries that we can support. But I believe biblically that the Lord says that first of all, you tithe to the storehouse. You tithe to the place that is ministering to you. Years ago, we had a, a woman come to us and on, on almost a regular basis, needing assistance, needing help. And we would help and we would assist because we knew that, man, it just wasn't good for her. She was struggling in a lot of ways, both health-wise as well as financial-wise. And one day, I just 
felt led of the Lord to, to ask her, are you supporting this ministry in any way financially? I didn't ask her how much it was. I just asked her, are you supporting this ministry in any way financially? She says, oh, no, no. I, I send my money to this ministry, and I send my money to this ministry, and I send my money to this ministry. And yet the ministry that was praying for her, encouraging her, blessing her, supporting her, was this one. You think that, that, to me, that just mentally, logically doesn't make sense. And I think biblically, the Lord says, you, your main support should go to the ministry that is ministering to you. Enough on that. When he comes here, he says, look, if, if you do this right, test me. He says, test me. This is one of the few places that we see the Lord saying, test me. He says, test me and see if you're faithful in your giving. Test me and see if I will not literally open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. And one of the other ends of that is, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Man, my, the, my car engine blew. That's going to cost me $2,000. I got to get another set of tires in my car. It's going to be $1,000. Man, the, the water heater blew up in my house. That's going to be several hundred dollars. My air conditioning. You know what? I believe that when we're faithful to the Lord, there's a lot of things that just seem to last a whole lot longer, just a whole lot longer. You look at the children of Israel, even, even in the, the disobedience, you know, as they wandered through the wilderness, the word says that their sandals didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. How did that happen? God did that. And I believe that God is faithful to that. When we are faithful for, to him, he remains faithful to his word. He says, and all nations will call you blessed. You'll be a delightful land. How in the world do you make it on so little? Man, God provides for me in such amazing ways. How in the world are you able to do this or that? You know, God is just blessed because we've been faithful to God in our lives. He's shown himself faithful in our lives. The final charge found in chapter 3, verse 13. God declares that they, they, they had spoken harshly against him, saying, it just doesn't matter if you serve God or not. The wicked continue to prosper. Look what he says, verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Oh, I'll tell you what you spoke against. Can you imagine asking God, what did we do? Uh, I'll tell you what you did. It's useless. This is what you said. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we've kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and still go free. See, this is kind of the same argument they had earlier. It's all too easy for any of us to slip into our own self-pity party. Uh, we, we look around the world, we, we wonder why we don't have the new car, why we don't have the new house, why we don't have the fat checkbook, the nice retirement plan. We begin to collect, you know, question the justice of God. Why are we going through so many sicknesses and ailments and, and disasters within our family? Why is this all happening to us? And yet the evil, the wicked ones, man, they continue to go on. Man, that's the story uh, again of, of, of Asaph in the book of Psalms, Psalm 72, I believe it is, where he says, man, I, I looked around, I thought, man, all the wicked were, were, were doing great and, and it was only the righteous that were suffering. It just didn't make any sense to me, not until I came into the house of the Lord. 
That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.